You're listening to audio from Calvary Gravenhurst in Muskoka, Ontario. For more resources or to connect with someone in the church, please visit calvarygravenhurst.com. Worship team, it is already been such a good service, hasn't it? I feel so full. It's so exciting to see what God is doing. It is so exciting to do communion together and to worship together. I don't know, it's, it's fantastic. You barely need me. Uh, but I am excited to bring God's word to you this morning. This is something that God has been teaching me and working in my heart a lot this week, so I'm excited to share that with you. So let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Lord God, we thank you for the cross. Thank you for your shed blood and your broken body. Thank you for coming back to life so that I could have life in you. If I repent and believe and call you Savior, Lord, and King. And I found that life, Lord, in the times that I obey you. And I'm reminded of the life that I should be living in the times where I live on my own. So I pray that you would help us Lord, today, to unpack your word, to be obedient to it, give us the strength, help us remember that it's not something you're calling us to do on our own, but you're calling us to do it in your power. We pray that you would give us the good, the good gift of attention, Lord, that we would be able to just have our minds clear and our hearts calm for a half hour as we focus and study your word. God, we want to know more about you. We want to know how you would call us to live. And one of the things we see in the passage today is that you're calling us to be like you as you came into the muck and the mire of our sin, that we are called to do that for others. And so I pray that you would help us in that. In your name, amen. Let's read about that starting in Galatians chapter 6, 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, and not in his neighbor. For each one will have to bear his own load. What's the key to this passage? What's the verse that jumps out? For most of you, it's probably verse two, to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And I promise I didn't plan this. This is 100% the work of God that God in his goodness chose to align this passage with our exciting announcement that Josh will be joining us as the pastor of congregational care. God really is good. Because this text shows us not what he is to do, but what we are to do as a church, collectively, together as the body. And his job description really is to help us in this process as he looks to equip us, the saints, for the work of the ministry. And so what has God called us to do? It's to bear one another's burdens And you know how sometimes you're sitting in church and the Bible says something and it can be really confusing and you're like, I think I'm going to have to look that up later. Or I'm going to go talk to person XYZ after because I don't really get that. Or I really hope the pastor doesn't skip that part and explain it because that part is confusing. Good news. That's not what's happening here. Uh, 
We can read this in plain English. Bear one another's burdens. This is what we are to do. And we're all carrying burdens, aren't we? We've all walked through those doors with different burdens. I know the pain that some of you have walked in here today with. Uh, my wife, Maddie, my wonderful wife, Maddie, uh, in love, makes fun of me when I get all choked up on stage. Uh, I might be worse than David Platt, and I'm working on that, but I don't plan to get choked up. It comes out of nowhere for me, and most of the time, it's when we're talking about burdens, talking about scars, and it's when I catch one of your faces in the room that I know that that's what you're going through, or that's the thing that you bear, and that causes my soul pain because I care so much for all of you. And so you can't hide it. We know that we've all got burdens. We've all got struggles. We've all got things that we're dealing with. And they come in different shapes, in different weights, in different sizes, at different times and seasons in our lives. But we are called to bear one another's burdens. We're called to walk alongside each other and help each other to be a family. And this bearing each other's burdens has a purpose according to our text, doesn't it? What is it to do? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And you might say the law of Christ. I thought this book was about freedom. I thought it was about being free from the law. And you're right, it is. But everything that Jesus calls us to in the new covenant is both wildly harder and way easier than under the law. And let me tell you what I mean. First, let's remember what's going on under the law. And Jesus, in Matthew chapter 5, where Jesus, what's he doing? He's raising the bar for what the Pharisees thought was righteousness, if you remember that. In Matthew 5, he says, remember the law where God told you not, don't murder? Well, actually, being angry causes the same separation from God as murder. He raised the bar. And remember in the law when God told you not to commit adultery? Well, I, as God, say to you, if any man looks at a woman lustfully, he's already committed adultery in his heart. He's raising the bar. And Jesus goes on and on and on in Matthew 5. And the same thing, the same concept is true here. Because what had God called the family of God to do under the old law? Do you remember in Leviticus, there's all these laws that they had about how to operate, how to live as a family. There was all these things that they had in place for how they should treat their neighbor, how they should take care of the poor, how they should forgive debts. You'll remember many of those. The book of Ruth is a good example of those. And yet here in our passage, the Holy Spirit through Paul says, if you're a Christian, the expectation is that you will bear one another's burdens. And what does that do? That raises the bar. There's not just five things. Well, okay, if I do this and I forgive this person, then I'm good. It says raise the bar. We're supposed to bear all of each other's burdens. And yet you might be thinking, Holy Spirit, isn't that a little bit open-ended? Or isn't that a little bit overwhelming to consider bearing everyone's burdens? Isn't that impossible? I can barely keep my own life together, let alone bear the burdens of others. But God in his goodness reminds us of Psalm 68. He wrote this, Blessed be the Lord. Day after day, he bears our burdens. God is our salvation. Some of you need to know that today, that day after day, he bears our burdens. So even though the bar has been raised immensely, why is it not impossible? Why is it easier? Because God bears our burdens if 
we let him. Remember that verse we keep coming back to from Matthew chapter 11, where Jesus says, come to me all who are weary, heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What's Jesus saying when he says that? He's saying, I'm God. Because who bears our burdens day after day? God does. Jesus says, come to me, bring your burdens to me, run to me. And part of how he's outlined that us to do that is actually if we do this for one another in the church. That's part of his plan for how we would do that. So we run to God, but we'd also be watching out for each other. He wants to work through us to help bear those burdens. And when we do that, we fulfill the law of Christ, which is impossible to do on our own, but 100% possible with God. And so that's what we're called to do as a church, to bear one another's burdens. And we're not called to throw all of our burdens on Josh and his family. First and foremost, we've hired Josh, not Josh and Katie. And that's important for us to remember. Secondly, we didn't hire him as the pastor of burden bearing. Okay? It's not just, oh, here's somebody we've hired. So, here's all my issues now on Josh, as pastors and elders, we will certainly bear burdens. But what are we first to do? To bear each other's burdens. So who's the first person you go to when you have a burden? Is it beeline to the pastor of congregational care? No. It's first to go to each other. And then if, they're, if, they're, if you need more help, more support, then you've got someone that's willing to come alongside you. Or someone that might partner with you in praying and helping. But it's not just boom. All on, here you go. We're called to bear our burdens together. And Josh's part in this is his part is to help us learn how to do this better, to be more effective, to be more biblical in the way that we do this for each other, to encourage us when we get discouraged because it's hard, to exhort us and to rebuke us and to teach us where we fall short of what God is calling us to do in his power. And this is how the church is set up, isn't it? Both from God's word and how we're trying to be faithful to it in the way that we operate as a body at Calvary. Let me give you a few examples. Why do we teach verse by verse? There's a lot of different reasons we teach verse by verse. But in part, it's to model for you, to teach you how to look at a passage, how to study it, how to interpret it, how to apply it. What am I looking for? When something's confusing, where do I go? It's to help you in those things. So whether you're a new Christian or you've been doing this for 50 years, that you would grow in your ability to understand and apply God's word. And the goal in that is that you would be able to feed yourself and then help feed others. So you don't have to come on Sunday to get fed. This is a good thing to do. But that you would also be able to do that on your own day after day as you consume the bread of life. Why do we have prayer groups? One of the reasons that we have prayer groups is that you would practice applying. What Part of what we do in prayer groups, as many of you know, is we apply the sermon and we we dig into it deeper. And we talk about how it applies to our lives. Here's why this is important. Because when the pastor doesn't choose the particular application that Sunday that just pierces your soul, you have the tools to listen to the Holy Spirit and let him pierce your soul anyway with that specific application that's for you. I can't pick something that applies to every single one of you every single day, but who can? 
the Holy Spirit, he can apply that to your heart. And we practice that then together. So you would take that into your own Bible reading, and then you would also take it into your discipleship. So that as you're reading the Bible with somebody else, you have the tools and ability to help them understand how to take the truth from God's word and show them what God's calling them to in their life. In prayer groups, we also want you to practice biblical community which includes acting like Christians with people who aren't your best friends. And that's important, isn't it? That's really important. That's going to be part of this, to pray for each other, to care about each other with people that you're not best friends with. That's true, real biblical community, not just doing it all with your best friends. And number three, of course, in prayer groups implied in the name is that we want you to learn how to pray. So in tandem with the fact that we are called to pray, together as Christians, and that's a hard thing to do, to get together corporately in order to pray, and so that's why we want to put some effort into helping facilitate that for you. We also want to model for you and help you practice how to structure your life biblically, your prayer life biblically, so that it would bless your walk with God and that you would in turn turn around and bless the body of believers. We want to model these things, and that's going to be part of Josh's role to model these things, to help us not to do it all. That's what it's going to look like. And I would say in general, we're pretty good already at bearing each other's burdens in lots of ways. Like this is not one of those situations where like we don't get an F. I'll tell you when we get an F. But we don't, we don't get an F in this area. We're, we're doing many good things in bearing each other's burdens. So be encouraged in that. The meal trains, they fill up quickly. Praise God, that's exciting. The rides that people give each other, that's awesome. We've seen that so clearly. The laundry that people do for each other, the visits of younger people visiting older people, that's awesome. Those are good things. The projects that people build together, the stories that I hear of people doing life together, those are great examples of bearing each other's burdens. Calvary, we're doing lots of good things well. Be encouraged and praise God for that. But in typical Holy Spirit fashion, In our passage, God calls out the area in bearing each other's burdens that we as humans in general tend to struggle in. Look at it with me. Look at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. What's the spirit identified for us as the burden that we are to bear? The one that he wants to call out that we're not as good at? It's when someone falls into sin. But if anyone is caught in transgression, that's the one that a lot of us, that doesn't come as naturally, right? We can see people and we, we know their physical needs and we say, yeah, I'll give you a ride. Or yeah, I'll give, bring you a meal. Or yeah, I can do your laundry. And those are good things. But we also have to watch for this as well. And there's some context that we need to consider from the book of Galatians that basically is there's assumptions because of what he's talked about before in the text that are applying to what he's telling us now. So let's look at them. There's three things. Okay. Number one, are you ready? You will sin. That's number one. You will sin. Brothers and sisters, we need to stop treating it like a shock when we find out that someone who's a Christian has sinned. Why? Because both our theology and our practice tell us that we know this is going to happen. What does our theology tell us? Over and over in the Bible, what does he say? And when you sin, and when you sin, and when you sin. What's the assumption? 
God knows you sin. And if you remember from last week, what did we talk about last week? Is it easy to walk in the world as a Christian, even after we're saved, even after our eternal destiny has changed, even after we're justified? No. We still fight. It's a war against flesh. How many people got perfect on that test last week? Did everyone do about as well as I did on the test last week? We sin. We struggle. We know that there is sin. So we got to stop being shocked when we find out that someone else has sinned. Because God's already told us, you're going to keep sinning. And then what's the second thing? It's also practice, isn't it? We know our own sin. We get to view our own sin up close every single day. Especially if you're practicing confession as part of that biblical prayer life. (laughs) More and more I find out where I fall short and where I sin as I do that. We know our own sin intimately, don't we? And so we need to stop treating it like a shock when we see sin in others. And we need to stop trying to hide it in ourselves. That's number one. Number two. Christians will notice. Because you're the body of Christ, some of the things that we've been learning in Galatians, because you're not living life isolated and alone, because you have people that know you and care about you deeply and you're living sacrificially and loving each other, they're going to notice. People are going to notice when you fall into sin. And then number three, here's the assumption in the text, is that Christians will attempt to restore you restore you in your sin, help you out of it. Why? I think as Christians, we're pretty good at number two, aren't we? If I asked you right now to tell me some of the sin of the people that are in this room, or to tell me my sin, I think a lot of us have an answer on the tip of our tongue, don't don't we? We know the sin of the people around us pretty good. But what about number one, and specifically number three? I think in general, we struggle at restoring people who fall into sin. That word restore, uh, the root word is actually means to mend. It's the same Greek word in Matthew 4.21 where James and John, they're mending their nets. It's the same word translated as mending in that passage. That's what it means to, to mend, to bring back together, to restore. So how many conversations in 2023 did you have? with other Christians, where you gently and lovingly attempted to restore a brother or sister in Christ who fell into sin. How high is that number in your life? It's a good God-ordained thing that he has called us to in this passage. We can see it very clearly. And it's assumed we're doing it. Why? Because we serve one another We love each other sacrificially. We bear each other's burdens. That's found in helping and restoring each other what God really cares about. Yes, God cares about our physical needs. We see that so clearly in Scripture. But he cares most deeply about our soul and our walk with him. That's what he cares about above everything else. There's many examples in Scripture where God cared for the physical and he cared for the spiritual. You can see that a ton in Jesus' ministry. But ultimately, Jesus didn't come to remove the burden of the oppression of the Roman Empire. What did he do? He came for people's souls. He came that they would have life in Christ. That was his mission. It's the same mission that he's calling us to as the church. So that's how we want to operate. 
The answer isn't just stop the meal trains and everyone start Christian counseling each other. That's not the answer. We need to continue to love each other in all of these practical ways. But it's a both and situation, isn't it? The answer is both and. Let's be a church that excels in both of these areas, in both caring for each other physically, which is super important. Don't you feel loved when someone notices that you're going through a hard time and comes with a meal or comes to snowblow your driveway or comes to do something for you? Those are great things. We need those things in the body. Those are good, good things. But we also have to be willing to get into the hard and the messy yet joy-giving work that we find in what God is calling us to, to restore people who have fallen into sin. And it's absolutely incredible. It blows my mind that for some amazing reason, God desires us as Christians to be, he wants to use us as this tool through which he would bring life as he seeks to restore us who fall into sin. (laughs) And all of us fall into sin. So he's calling us to do this. And so really, we've just done some groundbreaking Bible interpretation, haven't we, people? We have found out, we have uncovered, shockingly, that people sin. We have also shockingly uncovered that people will notice. Here's the third part that maybe particularly is shocking, that we are called to restore them. So then the question really is about the how, and it's about the who. Let's start with the who. Who's supposed to do this according to God's word? It says, you who are spiritual. And we could read that and we might think, well, that means only the spiritually elite, only the mature believers, only the elders. But we who are thinking that would be wrong. What's the context of this passage? Who is spiritual? Those who walk in the spirit. We just looked at last week. That's who's spiritual. Those who walk in the spirit. Who's to walk in the spirit? Ordinary Christians. All Christians are to walk in the spirit. So who's the who in this? It's all of us, church, as Christians. We are all called. You who are spiritual. You who are a Christian should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And then there's the how right there, isn't it? We are to restore our brothers and sisters who fail with gentleness. And that's the part that some of us can struggle with. There are a few people who are really good at going around and trying to help restore. But what's the part that sometimes is missing? It's the gentleness. And that's super, super important. The fruit of the spirit that we looked at last week is what? Gentleness. The heart of Jesus is what? Gentle and lowly. How do we restore our brothers and sisters? It's in gentleness, which means you got to do it in the power of the Spirit. We had a few warnings next in this text, which is interesting. So as a quick recap, we see what God's calling us to. That's clear, to bear each other's burdens. We see an example of the burden God has in mind, knowing that we're more likely to see the physical and do good at that, but we're more likely, more predisposed to struggle in this area. So he points that area out to us. We see that, and we know that when someone sins, they are to be restored by other Christians in gentleness, in the power of the Spirit, that those Christians who are doing the restoring should walk in. Follow me on that? And then we would expect a warning We get a warning, but we would expect that warning to be for those who are being restored, that they had better listen and they better act humbly and they better repent quickly so sin doesn't grow and fester and expand and blow up their life and steal their joy. But that's not the warning that we get here, is it? Who does he warn? 
Who does he warn? He warns the one who's looking to be obedient to this command to bear one another's burdens, specifically spiritually, in restoring someone who has sinned. What does the Holy Spirit warn us about? Pride. Pride. Look at it in the yellow. To keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. And here's the real kicker for the pride. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's the warning to us looking to be obedient. We know what we're supposed to do. So now we're assuming we're going to do it. We need warning for how to do this. Well, John Piper says this, there's only one basic moral issue, how to overcome the relentless urge of the human heart to assert itself against the authority and grace of God. Why else would Paul write to spiritual people to bear the burdens of others and then spend most of the paragraph warning the spiritual people against the danger of their own pride? So let's look at a few of these warnings that pride can bring we go to other people looking to restore them. Number one, pride will lead you into temptation. We saw that there. That's directly from our text. What does that look like? You could be trying to help someone and fall into the same temptation because your guard's not up. Why? Because you think you are above or have already conquered what has caused them to fall. This is exactly what pride will do, won't it? If we go to try to help somebody else, we could fall into the same thing. Number two, pride will lead you into sin. As you go to someone who has sinned, what's the natural inclination of your heart? And this is very easy to fall into. That's why Paul's warning us. What's the natural inclination of your heart? Our first reaction is to think, at least I haven't done that. At least I'm not doing that. At least I'm not as bad as this person that I'm going to go talk to to try to help. They need me desperately to help them. That's the inclination of our heart. But what is that? That's pride. And what's pride? It's sin. And so you've just fallen into sin trying to go and help someone else. And yet it's a fight because that's the natural inclination. That's the temptation that's going to pop into your mind right away, isn't it? So there's a real danger of falling into sin yourself and trying to be used as God's instrument to help restore someone else. Number three, arrogant pride will not help facilitate restoration. Arrogant pride won't do that. Thinking we are something when we are nothing will cause damage, not good, both to the one trying to restore and also to the one who has sinned. Why? Because we're all experts in pride. If you don't think you're smart at something, or don't know anything, or don't have any PhDs, know this, we are all experts in pride. We are very well versed in it. We are keenly aware of when others come to us thinking that they are better than us. In the way that they speak to us, or their disposition, or the words that they choose. And that will cause that person's heart to put up walls, not men nets, as you're looking to facilitate restoration. And then here's the flip side. Fearful pride. That's going to cause us to disobey what we know is true. You can see it very clearly in the text. And now the question is, are we going to go and do it? Fearful pride will cause us to not go and do it. It's going to cause us to not go and help restore other people because we're afraid of people. But God calls the fear of people what? Pride. 
Why? Because pride is ultimately us asserting our will over God's, like Piper just said. Trusting yourself over God, thinking we know better than God. So when we, out of fear and self-preservation, don't obey God, it's because of our what? Pride. Something that I can see in my own heart and in my own life. There's a flip side to this. There's a good side, a positive side. There's blessings for Christians who do this if it's done in humility. Number one, humility will grow unity and biblical community. When we walk through the restoration process of sin and it goes according to God's plan, where a Christian comes to another Christian in gentleness and the one who's in sin responds in humility and the spirit of God works on the one who has sinned and works through the one who is helping to restore and that restoration takes place in the power of the spirit. That is a tremendous bond that is not easily broken. It's a tremendous bond. I feel that with some of you through the different things that we have walked through. It builds unity and grows biblical community. Number two, humility will keep you going. Sometimes as you seek to restore a brother or sister gently, they will get sometimes a little bit or sometimes a lot prickly, won't they? And the natural response of their human heart is going to be to what? To attack you, to defend their image and their pride. But humility will keep you pressing on as you remember your own sin and your own reflex to want to do the same thing. Number three, humility will show you where you fail. One of the hardest parts of an elder, I think, is this. Because we get quite a bit of practice in this realm. We are far from perfect in this realm. I am far from perfect in this realm. This is why this was hitting me so hard this week. And it's... On top of it, it's this, that sometimes because you're imperfect, you're going to hurt the person that you are trying to help restore because you're not going to do it perfectly. And that's really hard. That's something that I feel immensely. In trying to help somebody, you end up hurting them because you don't do it perfectly because you're a sinner. And yet that's not a reason to keep going. And it's true for all of us that we need courage in this area, don't we? Because if we're obedient to God, then this is gonna happen. And you're gonna get some needles and some scars and some pushback. Some people won't like you. Some people will say things about you to your face or behind your back. It is going to happen. I'm not trying to sell you a bill of goods that says this is easy. But it's what God's calling us to. And lots of the time that response is on them, but there are times where the response is on you because you have not gone perfectly or acted accordingly. And humility will help you take the times where it's you and apologize so that that restoration process isn't derailed. And the fourth one, this might be the most important one. If you remember one, remember this one. Humility will help you when the shoe is on the other foot. I think a big reason why God wants us to have this practice of help restoring people, of pulling them out of their sin like God does for us, is it gives you a lot more grace when you're on the other end. So that when you fail, when you sin, and someone has the courage to come to you, you have what? Grace for them. Not landmines and daggers and missiles, because that's sometimes our natural inclination. We know how hard it is to do this well, don't we? If you've ever done this, 
You know how much prayer goes into it. You know you probably don't sleep the night before as you go to someone. It's not an easy thing to do, in part because of how we are so prone to respond. And so if we get good practice at this, and we know how hard it is, even if that other person now comes to you and the shoe's on the other foot, and they don't do it perfectly, you're going to have grace for them, because you've been on the other side of the conversation. There's blessing in humility. And let's finish with a few more warnings for us as we go and do this. Verses 4 and 5. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. This seems a little bit confusing, doesn't it, at first reading? It feels like it's sort of contradicting everything that we just talked about, so let's look at it one verse at a time. And as I was studying to wrap my head around this, John Piper gives a great explanation of verse 4. He says this, In measuring the value of your own achievement, do not take the work of others as your standard of measurement. Do not get puffed up because a brother falls lower than you. Our pride loves to see people fall where we have stood. Paul says, stop feeding your own pride by comparing yourself to those who sin. Don't measure your moral achievements by those of others. Measure them, test them by the laws of Christ. Then whatever there is in you to boast about will not be owing to another's inferiority. Isn't that helpful? Isn't that good? Let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. He's saying don't boast about your neighbor. Don't look at feed your own pride and think, oh, I'm better than that person who has sinned. Now you're boasting about your neighbor. You're bringing yourself up. So remove that. And now all you're left with is to boast about the stuff that you're good at. What do we know from scripture? Can we boast in anything on our own? No, what does Paul say? I boast in the cross of Christ alone. That's all I can boast in. And so are you left to boast with anything? No, that's his point. And then you see verse five. For each will have to bear his own load. And it kind of feels like that's contradicting the fact that we just got told to bear each other's burdens. So what, what do we do with that? But verse five isn't contradicting verse two. It's actually connected to verse four and that concept by the word for, that's a connecting word, for each will have to bear his own load. So Paul's saying, don't fall into pride thinking you're better than another Christian when you seek to restore them, because even though we bear each other's burdens in the church, and that's what God has called us to, ultimately we, we will bear our own load. Christian, where do we bear our own load? On the day of judgment. That's where we bear our own load. We, that's where we will bear our own sin our own burden, right, is ultimately as we stand before God. And the classic cry of the human heart to say, well, at least I'm not as bad as Gregory, or at least I don't have the massive sin on my resume that Sally told me about, um, because I heard about that from Jenny, that's not going to fly with God, is it? That's what Paul's saying. So if that kind of thinking has no value in heaven, it will only cause you harm and do you no good on this earth. So what's our recap? What are we called to do as Christians individually and collectively? It's these verses. Let's read them one more time. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, regular Christians, should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. 
bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come before you and we ask for courage. God, I need courage. I, I got a long way to go in this area. I think many of us do. So Lord, we come in humility asking that you would help us. Help us to do this better. Help us to not fear people, but instead would we fear you and want to obey you above everything. Lord, I pray that you would help us in this expectation, first and foremost, that would we be known by people? Would we be known well by others that would see our sin and care about us to come alongside of us? And Lord, would you give us the humility to do that so much better than in general how it goes? Give us the humility that when someone, a brother or sister, would care about us enough to point out a sin, something that's hindering our relationship with God and our testimony to the world. Would we have hearts of grace and even thankfulness instead of throwing daggers and spines, hurting other people? Lord, would would we have grace for each other as we practice this in the church? Lord, knowing that we're not gonna do this perfectly, especially as we're just getting started. But Lord, I pray that Calvary would be a church where we do this well, where we would care enough about each other to gently come and help each other, correct each other, exhort each other, rebuke each other. Look to restore each other, to mend those nets. Lord, we want to serve you. We want to bring you glory. This is one of the ways that you've called us to do that. So I pray that you would help us We need your spirit desperately. We need your gentleness. We need your love. We want to act as a glimpse of how you act because this is what you do. You constantly come in and you pull us up. Would you help us to do that well? Lord, be with us as we go in your name. Amen. If you'd love prayer, we would love to pray for you. We'll have some people up here. We'd love to pray with you. If not, Good. Uh, We will see you next week, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon audio. For more resources or to connect with us, visit calvarygravenhurst.com.